Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to this podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the Fishing for Men with Mac podcast dedicated to uh, ideas and stories and biblical challenges and worldview challenges regarding faith in uh, in God. And yeah, just a delight to be with you again. Uh, last week, I was a little bit out of action. But if you are listening to this, watching this, uh, it's wonderful to have you here. This is episode 46 Thank you for listening. I hope that there's been some things that have contributed to your understanding of life and your understanding of your worldview. And I hope that, <coughs> excuse me, that there's been some things that you learned. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about hypocritical Christianity or hypocritical Christian, uh, whatever, which one uh, suits you better. I'm sure that you have met some of those. You've met some hypocritical Christians. And you know what? Maybe you've been one of them. I certainly have been one of them in my life. And what I would like to do is also just speak briefly about Ravi Zacharias. And, you know, because that's one of the big scandals that has taken place over the last few months that have hit the headlines in the States. And uh, anyways, um, I received a suggestion from a very dear uh, close brother of mine, a disciple of Jesus. I met a few years ago and I, I'm sure that he won't mind if I mention his name, won't give his surname, but his name is Mike and um, I'd like to share with you what his suggestion was. I do a podcast on and that's what I'm going to do today. Um, this is what he said. He said, there are believers who profess a deep relationship with God, yet do things that are dishonoring God. It's not honoring God. Okay. I hope that you don't see me as judgmental, but we all have blind spots. I am so blind that things must hit me between the eyes before I see them. And I'm sure that's happened to you as well and then he says an example is when believers are unashamedly racist uh, or uncaring of others um, they are selfish self-centered uh, this is understandable he says if it is if it is an infrequent incident but what if it's a part of who they are in other words if it's a lifestyle is the holy spirit who jesus said would come as a helper active in their lives are they hearing the Holy Spirit? Are they consciously ignoring the Holy Spirit? Are we now approaching sinning against the Holy Spirit? And I think these are some really good questions. I mean, how can you walk with God, yet you live in sin? How does that work? Especially extreme sin. Especially perpetual sin. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians that, you know, he asked him a question, what is the agreement or what is the commonality between light and darkness? And he says, <coughs> we can't have fellowship with darkness if we walk in the light. And if we're in the dark, we can't have fellowship with the light. So Christians who walk in sin baffles other Christians, right? But it has a worse effect on people who are non-Christians. When non-Christians and atheists and agnostics look at Christians caught up in scandals and sin, they sneer at them and think sometimes it's funny. They've got a field day with Christians who fall into sin. And they label them hypocritical liars, wolves in sheepskin, money seekers. These guys are just preaching or pursuing the Christian faith because they are making money out of the Christian faith etc etc and a case in point would be um, Ravi Zacharias now um, I think it's important to talk about him because I've mentioned his name many times in this podcast I've learned so many things from him 
and I would like you to be aware of what has transpired. If you've heard of his name, if you've never heard of his name, just go Google him and you will know who he is. But he's a phenomenal figure. I mean, this is a guy that I would consider one of my role models. Uh, I, he was a role model, let me say it like that. And someone that has been listed by many people as one of the most extraordinary people to have graced the earth. He started off his ministry by being an associate preacher with Billy Graham and some of his crusades and traveling the world. So he's not a, he's not a small town guy. Apparently he met God at the age of 17. He was in hospital. I think he tried to commit suicide or something like that, but he ended up in hospital and a guy from Calgary in, in Canada walked into the room where he was and gave him a Bible. And from his hospital bed, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's his mother that read this to him or he read it himself. He, he came across John chapter 14 verse 19 that says, Because I live, you also will live. And that verse changed his whole life. If Jesus is alive, I'm going to be alive and I'm going to live the rest of my life for him. And so he dedicated the rest of his life to apologetics, to defending the faith, to preaching the gospel all over the world. He has preached to millions of people. Uh, he's converted or God has used him to convert thousands of people in this world. He started a an ap apologetics school uh, called RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And <clears throat> I was so impressed by the teachings of this school that I also signed up to study there. I did the first module on on apologetics and that was absolutely amazing the stuff that I learned there and Ravi was one of the guys that, that taught some of those classes well Ravi passed away in May last year and four months uh, he had cancer and then four months after his death three women came forward three women who worked with him uh, well he worked for him in uh, some of the day spas that he apparently partly owned in the Atlanta, Georgia area, um, and they made allegations against him. Now he's dead. Now they're coming out with these stories, and they're saying that he had sexually harassed them, uh, multiple other people as well, massage therapists uh, specifically, over the course of about five years. And RZIM, this isn't the first time it happened in 2017, and I'll talk about that in a moment. There was an accusation like that leveled at him as well, but it didn't really ever come to the surface. So what RZIM did, and, and by the way, um, Ravi's daughter works at RZIM. She's, I think she's the president even. Um, it must be really tough to hear these things leveled at your dad and now he's passed away. I mean, they held a huge funeral for him. He, um, Mike Pence was at the funeral, the vice president of the States at the time. So it is, this guy was quite high up in Christian circles. And so what our RZIM did is they hired a law firm to investigate and to find out whether these accusations or these allegations are true. And this is what they found out. Yes, he is guilty. He was involved with sexting various women across the world. Um, five of the therapists who um, spoke about their experience said that he touched them inappropriately. One of them said that she would consider she had uh, sexual intercourse with him. She would even consider that to be rape. It, it's not the idea that he forcefully did it, but what we found out is that he uh, 
with some of these people he would give them money so that they would just be better off and take care of their schooling or their children or their housing etc and then after that and he would use that from the ministry fund and then after that he would require sexual favors etc that's the story uh, going about uh, that, that I read on Christ, read on Christianity today so on his phone they found more than 200 contacts and and pictures of women some of them being naked um, one of them being an, an employee of a, uh, of a of a salon in Malaysia and so he had ladies all over the world he had paid money to them and he had requested sex of them um, after he had done some good deeds for them now he would often use spiritual talk to engage some of these ladies. And then apparently he would go from there and say, I will help you financially. And once he's helped them financially, then he would start of it sort of um, make advances towards sexual favors. Now, if there's any Christian out there that says that he never sins, it is a lie. And so it's easy for us to from a distance now to say, well, Rabbi, you bad person. How could you do that? But all of us have sin right we all sin but there are two important differences that we need to take hold of here when we talk about Ravi and that puts Ravi in a serious light firstly is what we call habitual or perpetual sin we all sin yes but habitual or perpetual sin is a big big problem what Zacharias did wasn't a once-off sin, like a once-off mistake or a, or a, a you know, a, a, a random event. It wasn't something that he wrestled with or spoke to people about um, or something that he tried to fix. It's something that he did over and over again over a long period of time. We're talking about years and that is concerning. And we need to keep that in mind as we go on with this podcast. The second thing is this. Hidden sin. Not only was it perpetual sin, but it was hidden sin. The hardest part uh, was that Zacharias in 2017, he was accused by a Canadian lady of sexual misconduct. Okay. And her husband. And they uh, apparently they, they sued him or they wanted to sue him, etc., etc. And... And he denied straight out that there was nothing going on. Now we know there was. And at the same time, he refused to cooperate with investigators to give his phone and his computer for examination. We now know that he was guilty. And so what he wanted to do is he was trying to hide his sin. He was living a double life. He wasn't walking in the light, but in the dark. In actual fact, he had maybe one foot in the light one foot in the darkness and we know exactly how God feels about that God is not impressed with half-hearted lukewarmness you either in the light or you in the dark just make up your mind and this is the most if we want to frustrate if you're a Christian and you want to frustrate God please always remember this you really want to frustrate God then live a half Christian life you know God is like you know what be in or be out I mean would you marry somebody or Consider marrying somebody and that person's like, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to marry you or not. Or I'm not sure if I want to stay with you or not. You know, I do like you, but yeah, I also like that guy or that girl. I mean, that is extremely, extremely um, annoying. You're either in or you're out. And if you're out, stay out. And if you're in, stay in and stay committed. I want to just use this as a side note, and this is personal and and just point you to this, that if your partner 
hides his or her phone from you. I want to tell you today that you've got to be very, very careful. Can you imagine how Zacharias' wife is feeling currently? She, she was married to this wonderful man that the whole world loved. The, the, the vice president of the states comes to his funeral. Everybody has good things to say about him. He's the most amazing Christian and the most amazing husband. And then she finds out he's been living a lie. Can you imagine how she's feeling? And I want to challenge you. So if your partner refuses to let you access his or her phone, I want to challenge you. Do not rest until you have permanent, full access to your partner's phone. You might be thinking, yeah, but that's going to raise a storm. Because I know of many people, I know of many men who would not allow their wives to look at their phones. The question is why? Why? And it will cause issues in your house. But let me tell you this. If you just let it go and you just cover it up and you just never fight for that intimacy, you're always going to have a half-baked relationship because you're never going to know who you're really married to. That is what Zacharias, um, his wife, struggles with, I think, at the moment. You'll never know who you're married to if you can't access the important parts of his life, the hidden parts of his life. Secondly, the reason why you need to access that and get him to or her to open up their phone is so that the, her or his soul can be saved. You see, if that person that you're married to or dating goes to the grave with these secrets, hiding uh, a life filled with pornography or a life filled with communicating with other people, sexting and things like that, your partner might just be condemned. And by you bringing that out into the light, you can actually save your partner's soul. So I want to challenge you to reconsider that. Now, keeping all of this in mind... Uh, the example of Ravi Zacharias, keeping that in mind and some of the questions that Mike has asked, let me suggest some of the following ideas. And I'm just going to look at some scripture today, which I think is important. I think I've got four points here I want to share with you. Firstly, you cannot have a relationship with God and continue in sin. I think that is pretty straightforward. Okay. And this is not my idea. It is in scripture. First John 3, 6 says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And in the same book, chapter 5, verse 18, it says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. It's a fact. If you are in Christ and you've been born again, you cannot continue walking in sin. You might say, and I can imagine the question is coming up in your mind, just like it does in, in mine. Yes, but we all sin. It doesn't matter if you're a, a Christian uh, for, for 10 years. We all sin. And we are in Him. If we've obeyed the gospel, we're in Him. And I would agree with you. Yes, of course we all sin. In the same book, in actual fact, the same guy, John, in, in chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, he says that if we claim to be without sin, we lie. That's in verse 8. And then in verse 10, he says, if we claim to be without sin, then we make him to be out a liar. In other words, God knows that we're sinners. So it seems like it's contradicting in this text, doesn't it? This one book, the same guy, seems to contradict his statements. Right? It doesn't make sense. He says that we all have sin. Yet if we sin, we cannot claim that we've been reborn. It doesn't make sense. And I think we're dealing here with semantics. John is essentially saying the following, and we need to listen to this very carefully. John is essentially saying the following, and I'm going to use my own words, my own statement. Okay, this is not in the Bible. I'm just summarizing what I'm reading. People who are in Christ, who walk with God, 
who have been born again will sin less. Okay, and there's many things to say about that. But if your conversion is genuine, the Holy Spirit is working in you, the Holy Spirit will continually remind you, look, you're going off track, you're going off track, and you will sin less. Because your conscience is clear, your conscience has been cleared in the sight of God through obedience to the gospel. You don't know God if your sin stays the same over a long period of time. If you continue with the same sin for 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years, you don't know God at all. You don't have a relationship with Him. You're not getting closer to Him. You've not been born again if your sin increases over time. In other words, if your sin gets more worse and worse and worse and intensifies over time, it is for sure that I, I highly doubt that you've been born again. You see, because the closer you get to God, the less your sin becomes. The closer you get to God, the less your sin becomes. You know, I always say, our goal is not perfection. Our goal is progress. That, that should dominate the life of a Christian. He's making progress. Yes, he's got sin, but he's sinning less every day. Every year that goes by, he gets better. He doesn't get worse. And it seems like when we look at Ravi's life, he was degenerating spiritually nearing the end of his life. He received nude photos from people even a few months before he died at the age of 74. So in the, it, it, he was degressing. He wasn't progressing um, at the end of his life. Now, we didn't expect perfection from him, but we did expect progress. And we should expect progress from each other. So that's the first thing I just uh, think we need to say is that you cannot have a relationship with God and continue in sin. Secondly, calling yourself a saved Christian means nothing if your deeds don't line up. So, and, and we, you know, when people walk around, I'm a Christian. And you know, generally, that doesn't mean anything to me. Show me your life. Show me who you are inside, okay? There is no way that you are a genuine, born-again disciple of Jesus if you're a racist, if you're self-centered, if you're jealous and greedy, etc., etc. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how long you have been a preacher at a church. It's not about how well you can quote scriptures or how much money you give to the poor. It's all about one thing. And that brings us to a very important question. What does a real disciple of Jesus look like? And that is why these women that have been, um, let's call it abused by Rabbi, that's why they are, they, they totally, they've been messed around with. They have been hurt. It's been extremely emotional because, you know, everybody looks towards these great leaders so that you always know there's, there's good men out there. There's good leaders out there. There's genuine Christians out there. A lot of hypocrites around, but you know what? We can look at the rabbis and the Billy Grahams. We can look at these guys and know, wow, they are solid. And then you find out this person is trying to seduce you and he's married can you imagine how that breaks your heart? Not just that you that you feel like you're being used, but that you realize where are the genuine disciples. One of the, the, the ladies that encountered Ravi and, and experienced some of this um, exploitation. I mean, she she said, you know, she she doesn't have trust anymore in Christianity and the Christian faith because of this. So how do we identify a real disciple? It's not that they're popular and up there. How do, you, how do you identify them? It's not about how much money they have. It's not about how much Bible they know, how well they can speak or preach. No, 
Jesus tells us in John chapter 13 and verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, that's how you figure out who really belongs to Jesus and who doesn't. I've met people who can quote scripture, but they've never loved me or shown love to anybody. I've known people with lots of money who are big guys in churches. They won't even greet me and shake my hand. So the deeds that I'm talking about is this. It's love. How can you love someone if you want to exploit them for sex? You're not loving that person. You're loving yourself. You're not loving that person. You're living in lust. So that's the second thing. Calling yourself a saved Christian means nothing unless your deeds line up. Thirdly, you can have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of you. And that taps into what Mike was asking. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can be a born-again Christian, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of you. We might know some really good people who have shown that God is in their lives at one point in time. Yet you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives anymore. How do we make sense of this? Like Mike says, is the Holy Spirit not active in people's lives? Well, I'd like to suggest the following, and one day I'll do a, a, a proper deeper study on this. But just on the surface, we must first of all remember that the Holy Spirit never acts against our will. Let that sink in. The Holy Spirit never acts against our will. In other words, we don't become puppets of the Holy Spirit. When we want to do what is right, the Holy Spirit will help us do that. And the Holy Spirit will remind us of what is right. But if we want to do what is evil, the Holy Spirit will not violate our free will and say, No, stop there. I will force you not to do that. That's not how it works. And I think that's sometimes why we struggle to understand why Christians sin. Christians sin because they still have free will. Remember James 4 and verse 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What is that saying? It means that when I take a step closer to God, God takes a step closer to me. So when I want to do the will of God, the Holy Spirit will step a, come a step closer to me and help me do that. The Spirit energizes us in every step that we take to do what is right. But not every step that we want to take to do what is wrong. In actual fact, when we want to do, the Spirit lives in us, and we want to do what is in contradiction to the will of God, then we are grieving the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 30. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of what is right, counsels us, sanctifies us, but of course we can ignore the Holy Spirit. And this is usually how it works. When you sp stop spending time in the Word of God, is the easiest way to start forgetting about the will of God and the Holy Spirit because the word of God was pinned by the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself slipping into sin, let me tell you this. You need to get back into the word of God ASAP and don't just read it. Do it. James 1.22 says, don't just be a hearer of the, of the word, but be a doer. So this is how we identify the reason why we're ignoring the Spirit is because we don't spend time in His Word and do it. There's a fourth last point. Just because you have been saved once doesn't mean you are saved forever. And I know this opens up a can of worms, especially for the guys in the Reformed tradition. But on this podcast, we just follow what the Bible says. And the Bible is very clear about this. You can't be saved at one point in your life and think that you were saved once. Now I can go on and live my life like I want to and God will just forgive my sin. You cannot call yourself a Christian. Sin like you want 
and then expect Jesus to pay for all the sin. Now that might sound a little bit of strange to us because we know that when we obey the gospel that our sins present and past and future have been paid for. So which sin does Jesus then not cover? Now before I get into that, I just want to read to you something quickly in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to answer that question just now. But listen to this. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4 says the following. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. This text is showing that it is definitely possible to fall away after you've tasted the Spirit, after you've tasted the heavenly gift, after you've been enlightened and understood what God is all about. And I suspect, and this is maybe a study for another day, I suspect that the reason why it's impossible to come back to repentance is because you have rejected the greatest thing on the planet and it's not good enough for you. And if God's not good enough for you, then nothing will be and you'll never return back to God. But the real text I want us to talk about is in Hebrews uh, 10 and verse 26. And this is to answer the question, which sin does Jesus not cover? I'm going to read it for us. If we deliberately, remember that word, keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is an intense piece of scripture isn't it so the question is what is this deliberate keep on sinning i would like to say it is habitual sin it is perpetual sin it's the type of sin that you make no effort to stop and repent of if you've got a sin in your life you haven't repented of that is it a sin in your life that happens on a daily basis on a weekly basis it happens habitually that is willful sin let's say your partner cheats on you once you might forgive and work on it right maybe your partner is really repentant and says well i'm so sorry babes you know this was a mistake this was like a once-off thing I, I i don't live this way and your partner might forgive you right but what if your partner cheats on you perpetually and openly and doesn't care what you think or feel Every other night she goes and she sleeps over at this guy's house. She's open about it on Facebook. She's got a relationship with this guy. Would you say that that is a habitual, perpetual relationship? Would you stay in that relationship? Well, hopefully, hopefully not. Most people know. Why? Because that person has broken covenant. That person doesn't love you anymore. That person is not interested in you anymore. And that's exactly the same with God. If you openly, perpetually sin and do nothing to stop it, you have denied God and you've pushed him out of your life 
and you've broken your covenant with them and therefore there's now no sacrifice for sins left for you. So three points just to close off with. Rather be a humble sinner than a hidden sinner. What is a humble sinner? A humble sinner is somebody who says, you know what, yes, I've got this thing in my life. I've, I've got to struggle with pornography or I've been talking to this guy over WhatsApp. My husband doesn't know. Rather be humble, come out, come into the light. First John says that when you come into the light, you know, God will sanctify you. Then you've got fellowship with him. As long as you hide things in your life, you don't have fellowship with God. So a humble sinner says, this is me. This is the mess I'm in. This is what I've been doing. I want to clear this out. I don't want this. A hidden sinner hides, refuses to come out, refuses to tell anybody, especially God, just hides everything. Rather be a humble sinner than a hidden sinner. God will forgive and you will have mercy on a humble sinner, but he will not have mercy on a hidden sinner. In actual fact, you will reveal the hidden sin in plain daylight. Secondly, to those who are atheists and those who are struggling with Christianity, don't discredit what Jesus did because some of his followers are hypocrites. You know, there are many Christians out there who make a mess. You know what, guys, I'm the, I'm the first guy to say that I'm a mess. Paul himself said, I'm the worst of sinners. He calls himself the worst of sinners. And I can honestly say in front of you today that I, I'm a sinner too. And, and I'm sure that you can say the same thing as well. There's sin in your life. The goal is this, right? And this brings us to the third point. Disciples, make every effort to make progress. If you want to make progress and you want to get better at this thing, the Holy Spirit will help you. But if you don't, the Holy Spirit's not going to help you. Guys, may God bless you. I hope that these thoughts have been beneficial to you. Have a fantastic week. Love you all. Bye-bye.